The spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket. It's the spin! There's no World Cup game today. There's no match in the women's ashes. It's all a bit strange. I miss Ian Bishop telling me who's won the toss at 10.15. I haven't heard rudimental standby for almost 48 hours. There's only one thing to do when there's no international cricket to watch. Let's talk about it instead. Joining me for a chat on the podcast today, we've got Andy Bull. He hasn't been in the studio for a while, but I'll let him tell you why later. We are delighted to have him back. And Raf Nicholson is possibly a little shell-shocked after the England women took a hiding from the Aussies yesterday, so we'll be gentle with her and we'll also find out if she thinks England can prevent a whitewash. It's a packed show, so no time to waste. <laughs> We've made it. We've survived all 45 games of the World Cup group stages. 625 wickets taken, 340 sixes hit, 10 fingernails chewed, and we're officially down to the final four. Meanwhile, in a parallel universe, Jeremy Corbyn is strapping on his pads and preparing to open the batting for England as Imran Khan limbers up to bowl. And that's not just one of my weird dreams, that's actually happening this week. Intrigued? Keep listening. It's the spin! I'm Emma John and this is The Spin, the cricket podcast that's already consumed far too much cricket and is feeling rather bloated, but we're still definitely going back for another helping. Sitting around the boundary of our oval table today, Andy Ball is at extra cover, Raf Nicholson is at long off, I'm at my usual position in cow corner. But it's not just about the players on the field, you know, we're proud of our entire squad. So today we're showing off our strength and depth and we'll also catch up with Ali Martin, who's with the England team, Adam Collins, who's with the Australia one, former spin guest Rakesh Patel of the Indian supporters group the Barrett Army, and we'll also get a Kiwi perspective ahead of their semi-final. It's such a busy show, there's actually no room for Michael Atherton. <laughs> Only kidding. Of course his chair's still here. Andy, you're returning to action after a couple of weeks out of the team. There was a good reason we had to rest you, wasn't there? Yeah, I'm just back from paternity leave, and I now have a little baby daughter, and she's three weeks old old or two and a half so she's already old enough to remember a time when England were really good at one day cricket and then rubbish at one day cricket and then really good again she's already been through that roller coaster starting early well we're gonna ease you back in gently here is the first question for you and for Raf if you had to support a national team other than your home side which would it be I'm going to go for the West Indies, which I know is a fairly predictable answer. I think a lot of people would just say the West Indies are their second favourite team. Maybe yeah. not right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of disappointed with them right now, obviously. But I like them so much, I think I almost wanted them to beat England when they played them at Southampton. And I was really disappointed that they failed to turn up for that match. But they're so exciting, this West Indian team. I mean, man, they've got the young talent, they've got the old entertainers, and they've got so many fast bowlers. They've kind of got everything you want in a cricket team right now, except... 
they're not winning any matches. Yeah, except the, the wins <laughs> ratio. <laughs> what about you, Raph? Uh, I think I probably have to go for the New Zealand women's team. They are a bit unlucky at the moment. Um, they've kind of crashed out of a couple of global tournaments recently. In particular, the 2017 World Cup, I actually predicted that they would win and then they didn't even get to the semi-finals. So they kind of embarrassed me a little bit there. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to hold it against them. They've got, so Susie Bates is um, one of the loveliest people in global women's cricket. And um, I've got a bit of a girl crush on Sophie Devine. She's just got the most amazing arms and she's so lovely as well. Um, she's sort of one of the biggest six hitters in women's cricket and very powerful, but um, she's always prepared to have a chat around the boundary. And um, she plays for, well, she has played for the Warwickshire women's team in the past. And whenever I turn up, she sort of comes over and says hello and kind of goes out of her way to be really nice. So. I, I love that you picked out her arms. <laughs> What is it about her arms? Well, um, she used to play quite a lot of hockey, uh, so she's got a particular way of, of striking the ball, kind of cross bat, um, just very much as if she's hitting um, in hockey rather than cricket. Um, and they're just very muscly. Um, yeah, I feel like I've girl crushed quite a lot now. Right. <laughs> I love the fact that the New Zealand women's team live up to, you know, the stereotype of the men's team as well. That, you know, clearly Kiwis are just wonderful people who are very lovely to be around. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Well, I think my team, if it wasn't England, has got to be Bangladesh after this World Cup. Um, because I am now a fully paid up member of the Shakib Al Hassan fan club. They've got great fans too, Bangladesh. They have. The atmosphere at their games has probably been the best, most fun. Oh, do you definitely. Think? And also most tigers per capita. Is that literally true? <laughs> this is well, a fact? No, not actual tigers. I mean the stuffed kind. Right, you know, right. they, they, you know I, you, You've never seen so many stuffed tigers at a cricket ground. I haven't. When Bangladesh oh. play. Um, so, talking of World Cup, remember our fear that this World Cup might descend into a fortnight of dead rubbers? We were wrong. The tournament even managed to deliver an upset in the very last game of the group stages as South Africa overturned Australia in dramatic fashion at Old Trafford. Captain Faf du Plessis scored his side's first and only century of this World Cup before his bowlers dismantled Australia's middle order and South Africa won by 10 runs. Andy, before we get to the ramifications for the semis, a word on this game. Had you, like me, forgotten that South Africa were even still playing in this tournament? I mean, Raf was just talking about how New Zealand embarrassed her. I tipped South Africa to be in fourth spot and to make the semi-finals. So I wanted them to disappear. I wanted everyone to kind of forget that I had made that prediction. <laughs> but so I've kind of been following them. And I, I'm really glad they did manage to produce, uh, you know, a good result right at the end. Uh, it's really unusual for South Africa to be playing good cricket at the business end of a tournament for once. They've done it really all back to front this time but uh, yeah no I was really pleased with them I actually think this is quite a likeable South African team like the West Indies just not (laughs) winning it who who I also tipped to make the semi-finals so I'm doing well on that front I feel like your predictions may have been worse than mine I had (laughs) South Africa and I think I remember even writing in the Guardian that they were going to be the dark horses Let's uh, let's not go back to the things we've written previously. Uh, the win meant that India leapfrogged Australia to the top of the table and stole their juicy Tuesday semi-final spot against fourth-placed New Zealand. So now Australia face England on Thursday instead. Do we think that's a good swap for England? It's. I mean, Edgbaston is obviously the great place to play them. That's what everyone is saying. Australia haven't won there in years and years and years now. But man, I don't know. It's makes me pretty nervous, doesn't it? I think it makes any England fan pretty nervous, particularly after that performance at Lords when England really didn't turn up. That was one of the most dispiriting games of cricket I've seen in, in years. I know they've put that behind them, you hope, with the results since, but just the fact that it's Australia, I mean, oh yeah, it gives me shivers a bit. Really, you, know? <laughs> you 
are looking really actually uncomfortable. <laughs> well, let's let's think about some other teams for a second then. Let's spare a thought for the nearly made it. Pakistan went into their Friday game against Bangladesh with a theoretical chance of qualifying for the semis, although only if they'd ended up bowling them out for just a handful of runs and nobody even seems to be able to work out exactly how many that would have been. Pakistan coach Mickey Arthur spoke of his disappointment after the game that Pakistan would have qualified if it hadn't been net run rate that had decided things but been head-to-head results or number of wins. Do you think they've been unlucky in that sense? Yeah, they've been unlucky in that they beat New Zealand and they beat England. So from that point of view, you'd have to say they probably would be a more threatening team than New Zealand at this point of the tournament. So yeah, I have some sympathy with Mickey Arthur's view, actually. No one really seems to know what is a good system to use as a tiebreaker. I know Andy Zaltzman, the TMS scorer, has been talking about this quite complicated variation on Duckworth-Lewis method they could use as an alternative. Net run rate's obviously got its flaws, but head-to-head would have its flaws too. But I, I suspect it may be something the ICC will change, yeah, using net run rate. I don't know, do they, they use it in the Women's World Cup as well? Yeah, they do. Um, I was just thinking that I think the most important factor in it is trying to make it accessible to the fans, isn't it? Because I know right. that there's been a lot of confusion about trying to calculate net run rate for teams, um, particularly in the women's game kind of back in the day when they didn't have all the professional setup around them so that you've got people kind of sitting on the boundary doing maths with uh, pens and pencils and, and trying, to, <laughs> trying to work it out for themselves. Um, so, yeah, if there's a kind of more complicated system being proposed, that maybe doesn't sound like the best idea. That's a fair point because understanding net run rate, it is. I mean, it can, Come on, even in the press box, I think a lot of people would probably really struggle to give you a comprehensive explanation of how net run rate works. Yes. Well, even in the press box, some of us don't do the maths ourselves and wait until yes. <laughs> wait until somebody yeah. else has done it for us and shown it to us on a piece of paper. Do we think, looking back over this tournament, that the right 10 teams were, were here? Afghanistan, obviously, have now finished without a win. Would Ireland, for example, have won a match? Uh, no. No. Sure, why not? <laughs> I think Ireland would have. I think Do you think they would have done better than least, Afghanistan? I think they would have won at least one, if not two. They've played really decent cricket recently. I think Afghanistan had much the better of them in their last series, although that was in India. But Afghanistan were much the better side across all three formats in that series. Ireland would have been better in the conditions? Ireland probably would have been better in, in the conditions. But this Ireland team is not quite what it was a few years ago. They're kind of in a slightly transitional place right now. They've got a lot of older players who are maybe just getting over the hill and a lot of younger guys who haven't really got the experience yet. So, well, Yeah, I'd argue that the older guys do have the experience and would have played better tournament cricket than yeah, Afghanistan did. That's probably true. And, and Tim Marta would obviously have been unplayable in, in some of these, these conditions. So, no, you're right. I mean, they would have been kind of more competitive. Afghanistan for the first half of this tournament were almost embarrassing themselves with the bat, weren't they? They just weren't turning up. Ireland probably would have done a better job of scraping together totals, but they're obviously less dangerous than Afghanistan. I mean, their bowling attack is obviously less dangerous. Well, there we go. Let's get some thoughts on the England camp ahead of their semi-final with Australia on Thursday. Ali Martin is up with the England team and he's on the phone now. Hello, Ali. Hello, Emma. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How is everybody there? Please tell us everyone's fit and healthy. I think everyone's fit and firing. You're actually calling me on Monday morning when um, the team is due to sort of reconvene at Edgebaston after a few days at home. Um, it's a voluntary net session on Monday and then we go into the real sort of hard training Tuesday. Wednesday with obviously the game on Thursday but in terms of over the weekend um, there's been no sort of reported injuries the only real injury concern relates to uh, Jimmy Anderson and the Ashes. Well I'll ask you about it in a minute but 
Um, Sky have said that if England reach the final, they'll make the match available to everyone. And having cricket on free-to-air TV as a subject, you and several of the Guardian writers have been dogged about pursuing. So thank you for your service. (laughs) I guess the only question now is, are England going to make the final? Well, yeah, that's the big if, isn't it? And it's funny, isn't it? Because the free-to-air, it's exciting that the final would be opened up to an even wider audience. But I guess it sort of heaps that little bit more pressure on this England team to get there, doesn't it? Because it is conditional to them getting there. And I don't know. I mean, I've spent four years covering this England team and I've really enjoyed covering this England team because I think they've got a really lovely blend of... It's a very diverse team. It's a very dynamic team on the whole they're pretty good lads there's a lot to buy into they, they obviously play their cricket with a lot of dynamism as well and they've risen to number one in the world and you just want as many people as possible to see them do it because i think they're a force for good i think personally but um are they going to do it well the aussies certainly come into this semi-final um i don't know they've, they've, i wouldn't say they've stumbled into it because they've obviously finished higher than england in the table but you know a couple of injuries and then a defeat to south africa which has probably sent them in the direction they didn't want to go i think they were you know they're buying that semi-final against New Zealand who've lost their last three games and that looks the, the better side of the, of the knockouts to, to go into whereas England have sort of picked up their form obviously beating India and then uh, New Zealand to get to this point so if you're sort of looking at it in terms of the, who the force is with it's probably with England but then the Aussies don't tend to lose semi-finals in fact I don't think they've ever lost a World Cup semi-final have they I think it's six wins and one tie so um, England are going to have to break new ground to get there but I just for me I've got them down as slight favourites over the Aussies even though obviously Australia won at Lord's in the group stage again. So you did mention Jimmy Anderson. I saw Mm. Jimmy Anderson at Wimbledon on Saturday with his England teammates. He seemed to be walking okay. How is his calf? What's the latest? (laughs) Well, the latest is he's been pulled out of Lancashire's next two county championship games. And there is this Ireland test match that comes before the Ashes when I suppose he probably would have looked to have had a run out. And plus, I think Jimmy, I'm not sure where he's up to at the moment, but he's he's closing in on a thousand first-class wickets. So he'd be low to miss a a test match against Ireland at Lords. But it may be that I'd be surprised if he played in that game. And it, it just feels a little bit touch and go as to whether he's going to be fit for that first test. The cliche that gets bandied around all the time is uh, he knows his own body. Well, I'm not sure who doesn't, but he um, he's 36. He's getting on, but he knows his own body pretty well, so he'll know how to manage it. He won't. He's not the kind of guy that's going to push it. Um, I think England, from what I can tell, are being very cautious in their sort of public pronouncements on it. And it sounds like the player himself is a bit more optimistic about being fit for that first test. So. Um, everything's crossed, I guess. Well, Harkan Sumal emailed us to ask if The Guardian could print a centre-page spread of Jimmy's calves so that our readers could channel their positive energy towards them. Can you? <laughs> is that something you can make happen? Uh, I think you've got to speak to someone on the desk about that, but, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure we can rustle it up. Talking of injuries, Andy, last time you were here, I asked who England could least afford to lose to injury in this World Cup, and you said Adil Rashid. Can we all now agree that it's actually Jason Roy? I thought we weren't going to talk about things that we'd <laughs> written or said in the past, but I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah it's been a great tournament for wrist spinners. That's another good prediction of mine. Um, yeah, Adil, wow, he's had a difficult tournament, hasn't he? And But yeah, Jason Roy... What a difference that made. The thing I didn't see coming with the Jason Roy injury was what a difference it made to Johnny Bairstow and actually how discombobulated he seemed to be by opening the batting with someone else. So with Roy, it's almost, it's not quite like you've got two players back, but it's had such a transformative effect on Bairstow. So what news from the Australia camp? They finished the group stages with a loss to South Africa and been forced to call up a couple of injury replacements. To get the full picture, let's speak to one of the hardest working men in the press box, Adam Collins, currently on the M1. Adam, tell us about your crazy weekend to start off with. 
<laughs> well, when Australia lost to South Africa, Jeff Lemon and I jumped on the road. The M1 wasn't open when we were going down to Canterbury for the women's ashes tests. So six hours later, a little bit before 5am, we rolled into our Airbnb. The next morning we went to the ground, covered the women's ashes ODI, and then we jumped back in the car and, and came back towards Manchester. So no rest for the, the, the freelancers, put it that way. So explain to me what happened on Saturday. What went wrong there? Well, the upshot of it was that they were hurt by injury. They lost early wickets. By injury, I mean Marcus Stoinis couldn't bowl his full complement of overs and was struggling with the bat. Uh, he hurt his right side. Earlier in the tournament, he hurt his left side, which is usually the side you hurt as a right-arm bowler. Now he's hurt his right side, so he's keeping it nice and even. As for Usman Khawaja, that's an old-fashioned hamstring strain. He hurt it when batting early in his innings, coming out at number three. He went off retired hurt, came in at the end, tried to hit some quick runs um, down at number nine or number 10, I think it was. But when they scanned it after the game, they thought it was a three to four week injury. So they've called up Matthew Wade. They already lost Shawmarsh to a broken arm in a fiery net session at Old Trafford last week. That's one where Glenn Maxwell also copped a whack. So they've lost 20% of their squad in the space of a couple of days. And, and Glenn Maxwell was lucky not to break his wrist as well. So um, what was meant to be a pretty chilled out week in Manchester, a seven day break since they thrashed New Zealand and the idea was they'd go up there and, and give uh, South Africa a touch-up who were already eliminated out of the competition but but the reverse was true they lost top spot they're back down to Birmingham which will be uh, the venue that England would have most liked to have played their semi-final against Australia and now it's Australia I wouldn't say they're on the back foot they're still in pretty good nick but as far as the the discombobulation of the side's concerned they weren't planning for this. Presumably they'd have preferred to face New Zealand in the semi-finals. Yeah I think it's fair to depict New Zealand as the number four seed coming in to this semi-final stage purely on the basis that they've been ordinary in their last three games of cricket. Australia definitely would have preferred to have played New Zealand, but on the other hand, how good's a blockbuster against England at Birmingham on Thursday? It'll be brilliant, and if they get through that, they'll deserve to play in the World Cup final. And will Mitchell Stark be back to his best? Because he had an uncharacteristically average game. I know, right? Eight wides, I think he bowled, all told, including five wides from the first ball of the Australian innings. Very unlike him. Look, uh, Stark looked like he was just a bit exhausted. I don't know how that is, given he had the week off, but a couple of times he was haunched over. In reality, Stark's a big game player. He's got an incredible record with the old ball, even though he was a little bit ropey early on against South Africa. He still did take two wickets at the end. So he's the sort of guy who, even when he's not at his best, he can still be super effective. He does bowl at 95 mile an hour and swing the ball after all. So he's the most damaging bowler in this competition. So don't worry about Mitchell Stark. He'll be fine. Adam mentioned he was in Canterbury on Sunday for the third and final ODI in the multi-format Women's Ashes series. Raf, you were there and you'll be covering all seven of the matches. Last time we spoke, we mentioned Alyssa Healy's claim that Australia would go through the entire series unbeaten. Some people said that was meant as a joke. It's not looking so funny right now, is it? No, it's not. It's, um, yeah, I did actually uh, ask Elise Perry yesterday after she'd come on and kind of totally destroyed the English batting lineup, um, what she made of Alyssa Healy's prediction now and she laughed and said oh well I'm a bit more conservative than Alyssa Healy but it is looking kind of good isn't it and yeah it's not been the best start for England obviously they've lost all three of the three ODIs and and yesterday at Canterbury was just a complete um, 
trying not to swear. It wasn't very, it wasn't a great, <laughs> it wasn't a great performance. Um, I think Mark Robinson kind of afterwards just said, you know, there's a lot of hurt in the dressing room. There's a lot of girls who are quite embarrassed by it. Um, that's not how they want to be playing their cricket. What was the figure that they eventually got bowled out for? They were all out for 75, uh, chasing 270. And quite a few of those runs were scored towards the end, weren't they? They were 21 for six at one point. Yeah, they were. And then um, a couple of the tail enders, particularly Kate Cross, hit the hit the best shot of the entire innings. Lovely drive for four. So yeah, when your tail enders are, are batting the best out of your whole lineup, things aren't really going to plan. I think England have really got some quite deep psychological problems. I think. So genuinely, it's a mental thing rather than a technical thing, a skill thing. Well, there are some questions about the technique, obviously, and I think that's something that will be talked about. But it just seems like um, playing against Australia seems to be a very difficult challenge for them. I mean, we've seen them this year. They had an unbeaten run of 14 matches going into the women's ashes. And suddenly, I mean, the first two matches were competitive. Um, It was just that yesterday they really did seem to fold without even a fight. Well, they seem to be getting worse as the series goes on, don't they? I mean, they they lost the first game by two wickets, second game by four wickets third game by 194 runs. Yeah, exactly. And I think that actually they'll be really kicking themselves that they didn't um, kind of get over the line in that first game. They really should have done. They're switching formats now um, and they're looking ahead to the test and they've obviously got to win that in order to to stay in the series. And I think there's, you know, in terms of um, looking ahead to changing format, that could be positive from England's perspective. Um, It's maybe a chance to start afresh um, and particularly from Australia's perspective, they haven't got the same imperative to kind of go about winning the test. So so there's maybe um, something there in terms of England clawing it back. But they've got a few really big problems I think they need to address. So Amy Jones' confidence at the top of the order in the ODIs just looks absolutely shot. Uh, she's got out all three times to Elise Perry just playing. The last couple of times just really unconfident shots. Um, and then they've still got probably a little bit of an ongoing problem with Sarah Taylor who hasn't really found very much form. They've also now got this potential injury worry with Catherine Brunt, who wasn't able to play yesterday, and I think they really, really missed her. She's such a presence on the field. She's so fiery, um, as well as kind of being your your main strike bowler. Um, wasn't there to kind of act as sort of first change, which she was doing in the in the first two ODIs, and and coming in and taking crucial wickets. So there's a question mark over whether she's going to be fit for the test. I mean, it's not sounding positive when you put it like that. Um, last week on the show, Charlie Baker asked us if the women had the equivalent of an ashes urn and if anything had been burned to put inside it. And I know that you know the answer to this. So the women's ashes is relatively new compared with the the men's stuff, although we do at least have a definitive answer. We know what is inside the trophy. So it's a wooden ball um, and it's recently been set inside this quite impressive new frame. But initially it was literally just a wooden ball and it was created in 1998 um, when Australia came over to England for a, a three test series back then. Those were the days. And they decided, so this particular lady, Norma Izard, who was then the president of the Women's Cricket Association, which was the governing body of women's cricket in England up until the ECB took over. So she said, right, we don't have a trophy um, for England v Australia. Let's create our own women's ashes. So it's actually a really hilarious story. They um, they were at Lords. They were training for this um, ODI that was happening the next day. And the MCC supplied them with a what? Um, and with some it's genuinely this is true and with some matches um, and they had this little miniature bat that they got both um, the sides to sign and then they put the bat in the wok they got the matches and they just set it on fire um, except it didn't quite fit in the wok hadn't really been planned very well so sort of half of the bat 
burned. So they took out the bits that had burned and they put it inside this wooden ball. So it's a very unglamorous affair, really. And I think it's a show where women's cricket was in 1998 and, yeah, how, how far we've come in only a decade. Isn't there also some question as to whether the ball that is in the trophy still contains those ashes? Yes. There's the mystery of the missing ashes there, around this trophy. There is, absolutely. Because at the time when Norma Izard commissioned, so it was, I think it was the husband of the midwife who delivered her first child um, was the guy who actually she commissioned to make this trophy. And he made it's one. all about who you know. <laughs> He made one and then he sort of thought, oh, I don't know that this one's quite good enough. So he made another identical one and they took them both along to Lords. And one of them has ended up with the ashes in and the other one has somehow been lost somewhere. And we're not quite sure which one the ashes are actually in. So, yeah, there is a bit of a mystery over that as well. Last time we spoke, I asked you, Raf, if we thought Alyssa Healy or Mitchell Stark would finish with more ashes victories this summer. And it only occurred to me after the show that some people don't even know they're married to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Mitchell Stark was actually um, at the first uh, match, um, so in Leicester on on last Tuesday. um, And he just sat in the crowd uh, and he was wearing a hoodie and he just sat there very quietly and watched his wife just back magnificently and I thought that was really nice actually that he didn't make a big song and dance about the fact that he was there and um, that you know I'm the big star it was all about her it feels like it set up the test match brilliantly well and I'm really excited about that but beyond that do you think there are maybe some bigger issues that are kind of come into play with how women's cricket is in England compared to Australia right now if it does go worse from here well yeah I mean hopefully it doesn't but I think even if England were to to win every match from here um, there's still questions to be asked about the domestic setup in England which is way behind where the Australian one is so Australian women's cricket now at at state level is completely professional whereas our domestic setup in England aside from the month-long Kia Super League um, which is ending after this summer and being replaced by the 100 um, aside from that it's still completely so the players are, are basically paying to play unless you've got one of these 20 21 central England contracts then everyone else is um, is unpaid um, they're, sometimes they're funding their own kit and they don't have access to proper coaching the women's county season is already over so there's limited amounts of cricket that they're playing um, sometimes the quality isn't particularly high because obviously if you've got you know a couple of professionals playing in a team that's otherwise amateur then you've got issues there the ECB Um, have said that they're going to be introducing a semi-professional structure as of next season but nobody has any idea um, what it's going to look like there hasn't been any official announcement so there's a lot of uncertainty around it that's crazy come on that's some of that stuff is absolutely bonkers in this day and age isn't it absolutely Still to come on this special semi-final preview episode of The Spin, we'll catch up with Rakesh Patel of the Barrett Army and we'll speak to my favourite Kiwi commentator. When Utoxeter Cricket Club had to leave their beloved grounds of 60 years, it looked like it might be the end for the area's only club. Enter NatWest Cricket Force, an initiative created to support community clubs across the country. They help them make a new home in a former cricket ground breathing new life into the space and the team. Why? Because NatWest believes cricket should be easy for everyone to play. It's paired up with the Guardian Labs to tell more stories about experiences like these. Read them at theguardian.com forward slash NatWest dash cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest. This is The Spin from The Guardian, the cricket podcast that's still in denial that Shakib Al-Hassan is out of the World Cup. We've already talked about the second semi-final, but on Tuesday, top-placed India will take on the team who finished fourth New Zealand. 
This semi-final is a grudge match between the two captains who led their teams in the 2008 Under-19 World Cup semi-final. India won by three wickets on that occasion. That's that's right, isn't it, Andy? A much younger Kane Williamson and Virat Kohli faced each other. Yeah, there's quite an adorable photo of the two of them, which has been going around on social media, isn't there? Kane's hair is very pointy and triangular and upwards. <laughs> And Virat's, does he have a beard at that age? Uh, no, he doesn't. he doesn't. He's very, very, very clean shaven. Talking of Virat, I wrote a piece about Virat Kohli on the weekend, which got some pretty angry feedback because I argued he's been on a charm offensive this World Cup and some people did not like that implication at all. Uh, am I wrong, Andy? Hey, I didn't write your column. You did. You tell me. <laughs> I thought it was a good column. Um, but do you believe he's plausibly charming? Do you think he's being insincere? Or I actually genuinely have enjoyed his charm i've really liked the sportsmanship i've liked i mean you know how can you not like that cool handshake with chris gale as they're walking off the field you had that lovely phrase in it uh weaponized magnanimity which was a beautiful way of putting in it i find virat's manner quite off-putting sometimes i don't it doesn't i don't particularly like it I, i'm much more of a team williamson guy because i think williamson is just such a fantastic and understated and modest player virat does seem like a very nice guy i know he's, he's been extra charming to the grandmother who's been coming to watch them play he's going around shaking everyone's hands i saw him bump fists with glenn maxwell at one point in the middle of the game against australia glenn maxwell was coming in to field the ball virat was finishing a run and he broke off to bump fists with him I find it all a bit too alpha for my taste. It's a bit like he's saying, this is my space, I own it. And actually, I think the space belongs to whoever performs. It quite annoys me that one player would try and stake a claim to it in that way. I mean, I still like his smile. I still think he looks like George Clooney when he smiles. It's got that kind of... <laughs> Did you put that in the column? I didn't. <laughs> no, that's just in my head. <laughs> oh, man, I'm really slightly regretting everything I've just said about Virat already. I can imagine how angry people... I really like Virat. He's a great player we and a all, great captain. Yeah, we already like him. Please stop tweeting us. <laughs> When we last caught up with Rakesh Patel from the Indian Supporters Club, the Barrett Army, it was shortly after the opening ceremony on the Mall, a mere 45 cricket matches later. And with India top of the table, welcome back to the spin, Rakesh. Good morning. So tell us, how many tickets have you managed to score for the semi-final? Uh, a fair few. Um, so a lot of our members hedged their bets and actually bought tickets for both semi-finals. So I think we'll be all right for tomorrow. Wait, does that mean there's going to be a sea of blue at the Australia-England game as well? <laughs> We've actually been working with the Barmy Army and, and, and helping each other out with, from a ticketing point of view. So I think there should be a fair splatter of Indian fans there. But uh, There's some swapsies going on. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully you'll see a lot more England fans than, uh, in, in Edgbaston than we did for the... Uh, So the last time you were on the show, you told us that the Barrett Army have 11,000 Indian fans flying in from 20 different countries. Uh, How exhausted are you right now? I'm absolutely shattered, I have to go on to you. Um, I'm looking forward to the next few matches, the next three matches, obviously, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the break after the World Cup even more. <laughs> I mean, there's been a sea of blue at every India game. You must be thrilled that you've essentially turned this into a home World Cup for India. Yeah, I mean, look, to be fair, anywhere where India plays around the world, we always get fantastic support, particularly in the UK um, and Australia. But I think, you know, I think the players have been really happy. I've been engaging with some of the players from the team. And, uh, they've been really happy with the fact that, you know, we stayed and they played and it's pretty much been a home match for them. So what's your feelings for this game against New Zealand? Can Lockie Ferguson stop Rohit Sharma in his tracks, do you think? Yeah, I'm a bit nervous, I'm honest with you, because we haven't played them in this tournament yet because our match with New Zealand got rained off. So 
There's not any sort of thing to go by in terms of what happened in the group stages. And New Zealand on their day are a very dangerous side. They've got a great bowling lineup, you know, and the batting is not really fired, but their bowling actually has been pretty good. So I think, you know, potentially it's ball versus bat uh, between both sides. But I'm confident in that, you know, we've got a very strong bowling lineup. I'm confident that our, our, at least our openers are in form. Our middle order is my concern because, you know, we've chopped and changed a little bit in terms of our middle order. And if we're testing them, I'm not too sure how well they'll do. So I think it all makes for a very interesting game. And if India do make the final, are you going to turn Lords blue? Well, I think it'll be blue anyway, whether it be England or India. But, <laughs> but yeah, look, uh, let's hope for an India-England final. I think that's what everybody wants. That'll be you know, a dream final for Indian fans and for England fans, I think. You know, um, So let's just hope for that, I think. It's the final stop on our tour of the semi-finalist, and I'm very pleased to say we've managed to track down the man we've already named on this podcast as our favourite Kiwi commentator. It's Simon Dole. Hi, Simon. Emma, how are you? Thank you very much. <laughs> no, all true. You can listen back. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to know from you, did New Zealand peak too early in this tournament? Oh, I'm not sure about peaking too early. They had the, the what most of the top sides would have perceived the slightly lesser teams outside of Bangladesh. Uh, in the first three games. So Sri Lanka have been um, under par for a little while now. Afghanistan new to the tournament and, you know, eminently beatable. And um, Bangladesh, I think, was a bit of a banana skin type game, you would say, from a New Zealand point of view. And they only just scraped past that. So I don't know whether peaking too early or haven't really even found their form yet would be a slightly better way to put it. (laughs) Interesting. I mean, Martin Guptill is one of those players that, apart from that stunning catch to get rid of Steve Smith, has had a a relatively quiet tournament. Do you think he's saving something special for the knockout stages? Well, every New Zealand fan hopes so, don't they? Um, You look through those uh, the four sides that are in the semi-finals, and I think the opening combination, no matter who it's been for England, India and Australia, have produced in excess of 550, 600 runs as an opening combination. New Zealand's is less than 250, and that included about 130 in that first game against Sri Lanka. So we've had absolutely nothing from our opening combination after the first game. Kane Williamson hasn't been allowed to sit in the change room for more than, I think, six overs. Um, apart from that first game, he's been out in the middle. So it's just been too tough. We're, we're hoping Martin Guptill comes good. We're hoping whoever opens with him, whether it be um, they go back to Munro or Nichols, uh, also does the job. And the bowlers, they have been doing their job, to be fair. Yeah, been brilliant. Uh, Trent Bolt has um, very rarely has an off day. Lockie Ferguson's been magnificent through the middle, leading wicket-taker in the tournament through the, uh, through the middle overs. Uh, his pace has been up, so if he's 100% fit, he might give the Indians a little bit of a fright tomorrow. Mitchell Santon has been good. And then the all-rounders have, have chipped in nicely at different times in DeGrandom and Nisham. So, yeah, we've got no room to complain about how the bowlers have gone. It's just the, the runs that have been an issue. Uh, finally, just wondered if you could give me the inside knowledge on this. Is, is Sean Fitzpatrick the official mascot of the New Zealand cricket team? <laughs> it could be. I'll tell you what we could do with a little bit of Sean Fitzpatrick magic. Maybe a pre-game speech, I think, would be quite nice. Uh, I don't know whether they've had anyone in to talk to them, but he would have been the guy I suggest to get into that changing room and just tell them, you know, just tell the boys what uh, what it's all about and how to win semi-finals. I'm sure he'll be doing that as soon as he hears this podcast. I know he listens. He told me he listens, so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure he will be. 
The inaugural Inter-Parliamentarians Cricket World Cup starts tomorrow. Members of Parliament from eight cricket-playing nations, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Afghanistan, Australia, South Africa and hosts England will compete with bat and ball for the glory of their respective country. The teams haven't been confirmed yet, but it's rumoured that Sachin Tendulkar, who served as a member of the Indian Parliament from 2012 until last year, is representing his country. Mashrafa Mortaza, current Bangladesh captain and MP, is also taking part, as well as World Cup winning captain Imran Khan, now Prime Minister of Pakistan. There are even rumours Jeremy Corbyn may be padding up. So, team, how else could cricket improve politics? Oh, I love the idea of uh, using DRS if there's a referendum and then, you know, trying to overturn the result of a referendum using some kind of form of DRS. Could that be, could that be feasible? <laughs> I think there are many Guardian readers who would agree with you right now. <laughs> Let's send it upstairs to the third umpire. Wait, I need to check. Are they actually having ringers? Are, we gonna have, are, they, are they allowed to bring in cricketers who have become politicians? Yes, absolutely. Really? If they've, if they've been politicians, yeah. You're joking. These people are genuinely going to play. Imran is booked. He's not. He is. Wow. He's going to be playing. Where is this? Can we all go and watch it? Uh, it's Beckenham. Yeah. Imran bowling to like some hapless guy from the Tory backbenches. Yes. Kind of I- played at public school when he was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I want to see that. Fantastic. Yeah. Let's all go to Chiswick House. That's that's one of the venues. I think that'll be very a very attractive place to watch it. I don't think there are any women playing in it, though. That's a bit disappointing. Oh, that mm, is. We, you know, we need more women in politics, I think. We need more women cricketers becoming politicians so they can play in this <laughs> yeah. tournament. Arjuna Ranatunga is a Sri Lankan MP yes. as well. I don't know if he's coming. Sanath Jayasiris as well, but he is, <laughs> he is not eligible for selection at this precise moment. He is not. He is banned from yeah. all cricket. Although he did manage to get himself into to a cricket ground the other day. Yes. Did you see that? He was in the yeah. stands. He said he was just spectating. But yeah, that was a bit odd. What else could you... I was thinking maybe we should have compulsory helmets for controversial politicians to protect them, you know, when they go out from the eggs and the milkshakes and... I would really like to see Michael Holding doing more political interviews. Yes. Uh, I'd be quite up for some Mikey Holding off the long run. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would really liven up Newsnight. I be good at it. I mean, when you consider how worked up he gets about the current West Indies team, I think yep. he would be a really good pick, actually. What about uh, making MPs work harder? Because we, we all know they like a long lunch. If they didn't get back in the house after the interval, they could just be timed out. <laughs> I actually feel like the whole of the... If you think about the actual commons, it's pretty much wicket-shaped in the middle, isn't it? Yeah, didn't I think some female MPs got in trouble recently for playing football in the Commons, didn't they? They were just playing keepy-uppies, yeah. Amazing. That's brilliant. Why aren't they allowed to do that? Well, I don't think it's considered appropriate behaviour, I'm not sure. <laughs> Unless I dreamt this, I'm pretty sure that happened. I was also thinking we would save a fortune on general elections if we just had Ed Smith and James Taylor pick both sides. Ed Smith probably would agree with you. <laughs> afraid that it's time to say goodbye to my guests Andy and Raf and also to you know wave a fond farewell to everybody who's phoned in thank you guys when we reconvene at the end of this week we'll know who's made the final and Harry Judd will be with us yes we are all excited that McFly is back together but please don't come and camp outside the Guardian offices don't forget if there's something you'd like to discuss on the show you can get in touch with us at any time tweet me at m underscore john or email us thespin at theguardian.com but for now it's goodbye
for Spin is supported by NatWest. To find out about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.